Hi, I'm Autumn. And I'm Bethany. And we are A to B Podcast, working on getting from point A to point B through simplicity, organization, and some fun. Autumn, today's a big day. We are so, so excited. We can't even contain ourselves. (laughs) Okay, so if you've been listening for a while, you probably heard our interview with Peter Walsh. You heard our interview with Lori Palau, with Sam. I mean, the list of interviews that we've been excited about goes on and on. It's one of our favorite things to do is interview other people who are passionate about organizing. But today, we are thrilled to add a new person to that list who, what do you even say, Autumn? What do you even say? Well, she's definitely... Like one of the original. Icon. Organizing icon. Yes. Julie Morgenstern. I remember sharing her book, Organizing from the Inside Out, back during college days. Like, because I devoured it and I loved it. And I gave it to you. And we both loved it. And then I read Time Management from the Inside Out. I used to watch her on Oprah. I would read her articles. Just, we are thrilled to bring you this interview when uh, we found out that she had a new book coming out, Time to Parent. Which is such a good book. I really can't recommend it enough. I think it's really great. We both devoured the book. We loved it. And we couldn't wait to talk to her about the ins and outs of the book. I have to say, whether you are a parent or not, I think that you'll get so much out of this interview. Well, Autumn's a mom of three. I don't have kiddos other than my kiddos that I work with every day as a kindergarten teacher, but we both got so much out of this book. And Julie was gracious. Honestly, it was was an honor to interview her. And so we're super, super excited to share it with you. In fact, we can't wait to share it. So let's do it. Let's go. Enjoy. are so excited today to welcome the one and only Julie Morgenstern. My very, very first book that I read about organizing was your book, Julie. And I can't believe that we get to talk to you today. We are so excited. I'm delighted. Can't wait. Well, actually, Autumn, I was the one who gave you the book. Yes, you did. You did. I found out about it on Oprah, of course, and I devoured it. Julie Morgenstern, before we ask you a question, I have to tell you a quick little story. Yeah. Picture me. I'm a teenager. I'm in my room. And I also got the book Organizing from the Inside Out for Teens. Yeah. That you wrote with your daughter. Which was like the first book that had ever, that I had ever seen. And I'm also mixed. My mom's black and my dad's white. So I was like, I have this, a mixed teenager (laughs) who's telling me how to organize. How can I be best friends with her? And it was like, I felt like you guys just walked me through. Like, I still remember your daughter had like, I, w- I think it was like on her closet door or something where she had ticket stubs and all these things, like her scrapbook door. And I remember making my own and being so inspired. So just oh. know that we've been fans for a very long time and you've just, you've helped countless people. I so appreciate that story. You have no idea. I mean, you know, you, you do these things and you write and you send it out and to hear the personal connection that you made both to her and the content and then you were able to apply it. It's, it's like you can't ask for anything more <laughs> as a writer or service provider. So I'm glad and I wish she was here today so she could say hi. Oh, me- maybe we'll schedule that. We will Beautiful. Try so you can actually meet her and become her best friend. Oh, my, well, <laughs> plus I used to dance. So I was kind of like, oh, my God. I was like, I think we're like supposed to be friends. I think, yeah. I think that <laughs> you can see I, I don't let those dreams, those dreams go. I don't let them go. <laughs> well, we want to dive in. So in your new book, Time to Parent, one of the things I loved is the way that you broke up the idea of parenting into these quadrants. And I had never before thought of parenting or even of self-care in like containerized. I'd never thought of them broken up into these quadrants. So I'm wondering if you can talk to our listeners a bit about that, about where that idea came from and how that can really completely shift the way that we think about these roles that have seemingly no end, (laughs) no boundaries. Yeah, exactly. So I guess, you know, the short story of the genesis of how I came to think about it was I was, I, I, I was living, you know, when I was a single parent, I was like, where's the manual 
for how I'm supposed to organize my time as a working parent, as a single parent, just it felt infinite. And I was kind of shocked that time management brochures were not handed out with every baby in the maternity ward that was born. <laughs> like, why are that? Like, are you kidding me? Like, people just have babies and you're supposed to, like, figure this out? Or when your kids go to school, why aren't there brochures in the office of every school, pediatrician's office? Like, this is the biggest problem. And I felt it. I wanted a roadmap. And as a professional organizer for so many decades, you know, and I worked with parents across cultures across, you know, globally, across socioeconomic levels, moms, dads, all ages. And no matter what parents hired us to organize, whether it was their time or their space, whether it was at their, in their homes, organize me at home or organize me at work, wherever I went in the world, every single parent had the same motivation, which was, I want to get organized so I can spend quality time with my kids and quality time for myself. Like those two things become elusive because the job of parenting feels infinite. You're juggling a million balls and there's no edges. As a time management coach, in many, many years, one thing I learned is that job ambiguity in any role, in any industry, in any job is a recipe for overwork and inefficiency and insecurity. In any job, if you don't know what your job actually is, you never know when your day is done. You can't measure whether you're doing well or where you're falling short or where you have strengths or where you don't. It's endless. And I was like, that's what parenting is. It's an ambiguous job. So after Jesse flew the nest <laughs> and I wasn't in the day-to-day -day throes, I just was thinking about this more and more. And I was like, I, I've got to organize the job. I have to be the first person who dares write the manual of how you're supposed to divide your time. So that was the genesis. It was like my own experience. It was all the clients I coached. How did I come up with the framework? Is it completely like you want to, <laughs> I don't want to like monologue this. So like, no, no, we no, we're this. ready to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> so first I honestly was just going to write the book about how to create the space for that quality time and what it looks like and how to deliver it because we crave it, but it's also hard to deliver. Then I was working on the book and I realized after swimming one day, and swimming is kind of my space. I go into like a water. I'm very meditative. All my ideas sort of coalesce. And I got out of the pool and I was like, I cannot write a book just about quality time for parents because parents have so many other kinds of time they have to spend. Mm -hmm. And if it's just about quality time, they're going to be like, thanks, Morgan Stern. That's great. What about all this other stuff I have to do? <laughs> yeah. I was like, what is it that parents really need to divide their time between? And it sort of like came to me. And I, and so here it is. So I realized that first of all, like any job, you need to sort of break it up into like, what are the components? So first break it up into two parts raising a human and being a human, right? Because while we're raising our kids happen to be the prime of our own adult development years. And no one ever talks about that. But literally parallel to the years you're raising your kids, you are establishing and developing your career. You are establishing and cultivating adult love relationships and a social life and discovering who you are. So first you got to break the job into two parts, raising and being, and then each one of those have four components. So to raise a happy, healthy human, you need to divide as a parent, you have to divide your time between four activities. Well, let me just tell you that this spells an acronym so listeners can like follow along. Those four things spell the acronym PART, as in doing your part for your kid. So what do you have to do? P, you have to provide for your kids. You have to work and make and manage money so you can pay for stuff. The A is you have to arrange the logistics of your kid's life because there's so many logistics. Where do they go to school? How are they going to get there? What are they having for lunch? What are we eating for dinner? Mm -hmm. Who's cleaning the house? Why is it always me? Right? <laughs> yeah. Arrange. You have to spend time relating. The R is to relate to your kids. You have to relate to your kids and get to know them for the unique individuals that they are. That's the quality time, that elusive piece. And the fourth thing you have to spend time on the T is for teach. We have to spend time teaching our kids 
values and life skills so that they can succeed out in the world, right? P-A-R-T, part, doing your part. You think about that. There's nothing else that you have to do. Everything you have to do for your kids fall, falls into fall one. into one of those. Yeah. So first of all, even the act of splitting it into those first two pieces, that first divide of raising and being, it's like, whoa, wait a second. Even that makes you pause and say, oh. And then the idea that you take this role of being a parent and there's a line you say in the book about there's some of the roles you're you're stepping into the child's world and then yeah. when you're teaching you're inviting them into the adult world because you're teaching and I loved how you in the quadrant you talked about how some of the aspects are visible and they're in the child's world or invisible in the child's world or visible in the adult world and it felt like the pieces in my brain were like kick, clicking into place of oh <laughs> yes Exactly. Because, you know, it's such a common phenomenon to hear, you know, parents say, I sacrificed my whole life for my kids. Mm -hmm. And those kids say, my parents were never there for me. How often do we hear that? Right? It's a very common uh, dynamic. It's like, how is that possible? Like, how is that even possible? Well, it's possible because if you imagine that part those four things in a kind of a, a grid, like a two by two, like a matrix, right? Some of the things we have to do for our kids are visible to them and some are invisible. So what's visible to your kids is relating and teaching. You're doing that with them. They see you, but providing and arranging, which take massive amounts of time, are largely invisible to our kids. So if a parent has spent the majority of their life, sacrificed their self-time, never took care of themselves, and all they do is work and arrange the logistics, they have sacrificed their life for their kid. But their kid's like, my parents were never there for me because that's all invisible, right? Yeah. The same way is that even the things that are visible, some of the things that we do are take place in the adult world and some in the child world. So that's what you're talking about, Bethany, is that Relate and teach are both visible, but they're very different. And we have to recognize that kids perceive and experience those four things differently. So when you are teaching a kid, you are bringing them into the adult world and they are the student of you. When you are relating to a child, when you're getting to know who they are, what's in their world, you are entering your child's world and you are the student of the child. Those are very different on the receiving end. And they're actually different on the delivery end, if you think about it. Yeah, I loved that point. Because sometimes you go to relate to your child and you find yourself wanting to teach and remembering that there's moments that you just need to relate and the teaching can wait. And every expert, and I did do research for this book on human development, because I was like, I'm not a child development expert, I'm an organizer. So I had to learn this. But Every expert that I spoke to said that to create the conditions for teaching, if you want your kid to listen, if you want that to be less embattled, you always start with relate. You enter your child's world first, you empathize, you acknowledge, you recognize, you understand, and then you teach. And be very careful to not do that. And we as parents blend them all the time. We think it's all the same. And we also feel out of a sense of love that our job is to teach. Mm -hmm. Kids don't want to listen to us. It's like, you don't understand. But mom, you don't understand. It's like, actually, you're right. <laughs> I never took the time to understand. I'm just telling you. I don't have time to understand. Yeah. And that's just human nature, right? If you guys ever do any teaching or workshops, you always have to acknowledge your client's reality before you can give them any advice. If you just come in with advice, like, who's going to listen to you? It's like, wait a minute. You don't even get my world. Yeah. So I'm a kindergarten teacher. Oh. Yes. So I have always loved from your first book, how you talk about thinking of your space and even, and now your time as this, as a kindergarten model and this ah. idea that, well, this is the painting zone. So of course that's, what's going to go in the painting zone is your paintbrushes. And yeah. that's always something that I take into my classroom with me. And I found that that relating piece, because I'm actually not a parent as a kindergarten teacher, I read it through the eyes of, you know, I'm really having to think about my role and that 
relating piece, if I just walk in and say, okay, we got to line up, you know, they're, they're like, who are you, you know, and this real building those relationships. And Autumn, you're mom of three. Yeah, I love how you kind of define the edges a little bit of each quadrant. In our podcast, we're mostly talking about a range, thinking about the time management of a parent can feel so overwhelming. So for people who kind of struggle with that piece, you talked about there's some parts of parenting that are just going to become easier to you than other parts. So relating might be an easy part for you to relate to your kids. Or teaching might be an easy part, but the arranging part might be a part that you struggle with. So for those parents who feel like this time management or the scheduling feels so daunting, what would you recommend? Like, how could they get started with just that time management piece? Yeah, so that arrange quadrant tends to be the thing that kind of consumes parents, whether they are organized or not, by the way, like super, there are lots of people who they have it under control, but it still consumes every waking and sleeping moment. And that's people who are super organized and sort of gravitate toward that and maybe away from relate and away from teach because they're real get it done people, right? So that's a problem for them and still too much time. And then for anybody who was not organized before having kids, Once you have kids, the complexity of designing systems for multi, it's a multi-user system. It's like advanced PhD organizing. It's (laughs) like, oh my God. So if you weren't organized before, you're really struggling. That's what originally got me into organizing because I had two under the age of two. And I was like, what, what am I doing? <laughs> so that's what originally got me. But I'm like, I got to get it organized. This is not going to work. Yeah, it's true. I, that's what motivated me too to get organized. When yeah. my daughter was born, I was like, uh-oh, I can live in chaos, but I can't do this to another person. Right. right. So here's the deal on a range. It must be contained. You can't ignore it if you hate it because then it wreaks havoc on everything else. You're always running late. You're always looking for things and there's no time to relate or to be, right? But you also don't want to take on the burden yourself, number one. No matter what, do not think it is your job alone to be the default arranger of your house and for your kids. And women really fall into that trap. Even in modern marriages where men are very involved, still every study shows women still have the emotional responsibility of it alone. So first of all, recognize that in a multi-user system, which multiple personalities, kids of different ages, etc., principle number one is create the most simple, basic, unadorned, repeatable systems that you possibly can. Do not get fancy. Don't get complicated. Every system has to be simple enough for a five-year-old to follow, five and up. And the younger ones can follow with guidance, right? But that's that. And two, you must share the workload (laughs) evenly and visibly. So it's a lot of invisible work. People don't realize. So I have this activity called put all the cards on the table that I talk about in the book. And I do this with families. The biggest problem is nobody realizes how vast and complicated arranging really is. So Create a little card deck with three by five cards and every card has one task. Plan meals, next card. Shop for the food, next card. You know, unpack and put the food away. (laughs) Yes. You know, make breakfast, make lunch, make dinner, clean up, set the table, blah, blah, blah. Get all the stuff visible and then sit around as a family and like divide the deck according, put the card in front of who does what. And you know it, it's like a visible like, Oh my God, there's that much to do, mom. I had no idea. And like, that's not fair that you have 82 cards and I have two (laughs) and this one has none. And then you kind of re-divvy it up. So I think is to make it very visible. Talk about it. Don't suffer in silence or think this is supposed to happen magically. It's complicated and it's time consuming. And, And recognize that sharing the house First of all, the household logistics are the family's logistics. They literally do not belong to any one person. Everybody is their own, right? But like these are family logistics. And sharing that is a way of taking care of each other. And not talking about it and not sharing it is really a way of like 
you're sort of putting to-dos on somebody else's list that they, like, didn't sign up for, didn't know. And talking about it also allows people to get credit for what they're doing because when people don't talk about it, what happens is different members of the family gravitate toward the things they notice mm. and they do them and then they don't get credit for it. So, like, you think so-and-so is not doing anything but you didn't notice that they're constantly putting the stapler back in the drawer or they're always taking the trash out or they do the dog hair from the couch because they notice it, but you don't. Yeah, <laughs> That's a good point. That's why talking about it really, really is critical to harmony. And it's yeah. rare. People don't talk about it. And that's a lot of resentment gets built up. Just talk about it. Julie, I'm a newlywed as in two weeks. We just had our two week anniversary and we hey, are... Thank you. And I've been actively reading your book. And it was so funny because my husband and I had a conversation about that. It was about the floor, actually. He's like, do you not see that? I'm like, what are you talking about? No, I don't notice. You know, and it really does become invisible. Whereas for me, I'm like, can you close the drawer when you're done with it? And he just doesn't notice. And I can see how that could become bigger and bigger when it doesn't need to be. It's just that he doesn't notice it. And I don't notice that fur ball on the, I'm like, what are you talking about? That's our second dog. You know, it's just that that's right. there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's a great strategy of putting your cards on the table. And I love your overall reframing of delegation of the household work. You talk about don't deny people the joy of feeling valued in the family. That idea of you need to take it all on yourself. And it's like, no, there's a joy of, of sharing these household choices of working together as a family. And making a contribute, like everybody wants to yeah. have value and make a contribution. And this is a family unit and everyone can. And if you don't and you hoard all the work because either you feel you do it best or no one else can, you know, do it quite fast enough or, or it takes too much time. Basically not delegating communicates that I do not have faith in you, mm. that you are capable of learning this or yes. do it correctly. And that's also a great insult and builds resentment. And you're not building confidence in your family that you, and you're not communicating you have, con you're communicating that you don't have confidence in them. Oh, that's yeah. so powerful. Well, what would you say then to parents who feel like, well, my kid is always forgetting stuff. You know, the reason I do take it over is because they fall through all the time or they lose their items. And so I need to keep track of all these things. So what would you say to those parents? I would say to sit down and talk with this kid about always, the always forgetting and, and look for how does it feel that I'm always, is that something that you like or is that like whatever? And I actually think you should be able to learn for yourself. So let's come up with and let's try, let's come up with three different ways that might help you remember and let your kid come up with the three ways. Okay. Don't you come up with the three, like, Let's come up with three possible ways that you, might help you. See if you can get them to come up with them. And then let's try the first one and experiment. So you're supporting them. You're scaffolding them. But you have confidence that you want to. There was an expert I spoke to who said, your job is not to solve your children's problems. It's to make your children excellent problem solvers. Mm. Yeah. If there is a problem Name the problem that you as an adult need to name it. Ah, there's a problem. It's getting in the way of this. Now you want to make your kid a great problem solver. You have to scaffold them and brainstorm with them and support them. But the intention is not to solve the problem. I love that because as a teacher, I'm trying to give my students the tools so that they can solve the problem themselves. You know, because I have 20 kids coming up to me saying, there's no more glue. So it's like there's a system. You know where the glue goes if it's out. You know where it, you get the new glue. You know those systems. And I, you talked about the put the cards on the table, which both Autumn and I love that. But there was one other strategy in particular that you talked about that I have to admit I would love for you to walk us through. And I think this really ties in with helping your kids be problem solvers. You talk about this idea of uh, when you're talking about time management, you talked about different ways to approach time management. And one of the things that struck me most was applying selective perfectionism. Yeah. And you talked about this idea of max, min, and mod efforts. And I find that in trying to help kids become problem solvers, you know, you keep going back to that. The systems need to be simple. 
But how do you make them simple for yourself as well? You know, because that really tied in for me because that max min mod autumn knows I like wanted to, <laughs> I want to do the max and I'm like, no, but it has, I don't know, autumn, how would you describe my, my <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to get me to tell stories in front of Julie, aren't you? No, no. <laughs> Yeah, she has grand plans and ideas in her mind. It, it makes her a great teacher because she has this abundance of creativity, but that also comes home with her and she is like going above and beyond on everything. And I'm like, Bethany, let's just make it easy. Like you only need five meals you can repeat. And she's like ready to sit down and do a 30-day meal plan. But then I don't do it because I'm overwhelmed. Exactly. And I do think that the examples are helpful in communicating this Max Mod Min strategy. So let's say... When you think that you have these four things to juggle, and we haven't even talked about being a human, four things yet. Right? Listeners, we're <laughs> going to take care of you on how you can also be a human and what you have to spend your time on for that. So just, you know, stay tuned. But these things you have to juggle your time between, you cannot be a perfectionist about everything because you will get stuck in a quadrant. Mm -hmm. Any one of these quadrants, providing, arranging, relating, teaching, and all the stuff you have to do for yourself, you could do... You'll never get out of a quadrant. You'll spend all your time on it. So you need to be able to, for anything that you want to endeavor, any task, any project, any system you want to design, any birthday party that you want to host, any uh, thing you want to do for your career, blog you want to write, you know, podcast marketing plan that you want to do am i coming close to I'm right yeah right. yeah yeah <laughs> and you have grand plans for before you tackle that project first define three levels of performance for that project so first define what is the maximum i could do so i want to have a really great system for meals so that i'm not like reinventing the wheel every day what are we going to eat and looking through recipes but i, I need a meal plan so what's the maximum I could do? So the maximum I could do, and then you really spell that out. The maximum is I could make sure that all of our meals are like organic. There's no waste. It's recycled. If we use parsley, we then make parsley soup out of the stems, <laughs> right? Like earth friendly, vegan friendly, gluten free friendly. Also for the meat, like you could get blah, 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 right? Yeah. 30 days. That's the max. You write it all out for yourself. Literally, like put that on the table. Make that visible too. I itemize what does the max really look like? If you could have the most perfect version, what does it look like? Then say, okay, what's the minimum I could do? I'm not going to not do that. I really want to have some kind of meal plan that simplifies cooking, but what's the minimum I could do? And the minimum might be we come up with 10 meals that we are able to cycle through in a two-week period, and all of them are three-ingredient meals that could be done in 10 minutes or less, <laughs> right? Right. If anybody wants something special, then they have to find that for themselves or if I have extra time. And then what's the moderate? And the moderate might be that there's 10 meals, but there's more than three ingredients, and maybe some can take 20 minutes, right? So mm -hmm. You do the max mod minute by laying that out on the paper. You then are in a position to choose which level is appropriate for this situation in context of everything else that I want to do mm. and is on my plate, which is the right. Sometimes you'll still choose max. Sometimes you'll choose min. Sometimes you'll choose moderate. Mm -hmm. But what that does is for the perfectionistic, overambitious person it gives them options. And I think perfectionism is a syndrome of no options. Things are either phenomenal or they're a disaster. It's either spectacular or it's a failure. And Max Mod Min, I design that for that black and white or all or nothing thinking. They go, no, no, no. Define three levels. And it really is very liberating. You'd be amazed. And sometimes, you know, it's like in this day, in this situation, at this time in our lives, in this particular week, we're going to do this. Yes. How you know me so well, Julie? How do you know me so well? <laughs> but I love that in thinking about creating systems for kids, too, because... I don't want to model for my kids that it has to be this maximum, this perfection, because I don't want to paralyze them either. Like you said, those systems need to be simple, repeatable, and 
I find that that's what I was getting stuck in. I was like, wait, that's my own perfectionism coming out. And I just find that laying it out, that making it visible, it made it visible for myself because I was like, oh, I didn't realize I was always reaching for the max. And Autumn's yeah. like, we were talking about that. She's like, I realized it. I told you to slow down. <laughs> right. Know? But when you look at it, you it sort of makes the unconscious conscious too. Yeah, like exactly. Perfectionists just like always have the grandest schemes. Then they just dive in. They don't even articulate it. And it's like, why is this not finished yet? Why am I still working on this? Because you didn't put it out. And sometimes when you lay it out, you're like, that's ridiculous. Nobody needs to do all that because you see it. Before we move on to being being a human. Yes. We have an annual episode about planning our summer. And it's a struggle for me because I do want to limit screen time, but it is such an easy thing to go to first. And I love how you mentioned that screen time should be the fifth choice and not the first choice. What are things that parents can do to structure systems to kind of make that more of a fifth choice option? Yeah, sure. So I think that that the idea is that we as parents and kids use screen time as the kind of default. So if you as a parent, especially in the summer, and you're like, oh my God, the kids are home. Right. (laughs) When you you feel like you have to entertain the kids and you're busy or you have things to do. And so screen time can kind of keep them occupied so you can do stuff. That's one of the ways in which we use screen time. And then kids also, if they can't think of something else to do, it's like the default thing to do. And honestly, the screen stuff is just addictive. Scientific studies have proven it over and over, and we all know it. We feel it. It just draws you in. It's biochemically addictive. All the lights and the interactive and the dopamine and all that stuff. So we have to break that both as parents, right, that that's the default, and then you know it's going to be hard for the kids right. because they are addicted. And it's hard for us sometimes because we have it's our hard. Not sometimes. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Not all the time. And and that also brings up that you have to model it, right? So you can't mm. tell your kids don't be on screens so that you can be on your cell phone mm, because mm-hmm. you're, they're like, really? Are you kidding me? Mom's always on her phone mm. and she wants to be doing a puzzle? No. <laughs> yes. So you have to model it yourself. But I think the thing is, when we're drawn to our addictive sort of natural thing, you need an alternative that's already thought out to resist that gravitational pull. So with each and for each of your kids and with each of your kids, you should sit down and come to an agreement and say, look, green time it can be fun, but it is addictive. And I'm sure you feel sometimes like your brain goes to mush or your eyes glaze over and then you're not exercising. And it's just one way of interacting. We have to fight that and have a whole life. So let's come up together with four things that are fun for you, that are engaging, that you love to do, that are not on a screen and come up with the menu with your kid and then you have it written down and they have chosen those things and they've articulated them. And it might take them some time to think about it, but they have come up with the menu. And then whenever there's like you need space and time to get something done or they're looking for something to do, you pull out the menu and you say, oh, you feel like you need something to do. Let's go to the first thing. What about X? Like, what about a puzzle? What about going outside and like playing frisbee with the dog. This is coming from their own list. Their own list. What about, you know, doing a craft? What about calling a friend to go for a play date? And the fifth choice is technology, not the first, not the second, not the third, but it's their own list. And otherwise, they're not going to think of it when they're like, I need something to do. And you're just going to reach for the most convenient thing. Yeah. That's the make it the fifth choice, not That's the first. huge. Yeah. So in your book, I love the PART acronym. I thought that that was so great for thinking about raising a human being. And something that you were so intentional about was also that other part of being a human being. And you have an acronym for that too. Can you talk about that? Because I think those quadrants are the ones that both Autumn and I were like, oh, those get overlooked all the time. Yeah. So the being a human, the other half of your job while you're raising children is to be a human and that there are four components to that, four things you have to divide your time between to be a happy, healthy human. So what are they? They also spell an acronym, self, 
as in fueling yourself. So to be a happy, healthy human and to have the energy and brain power and patience to do yes. your part. To do your part. Oh, that's so perfect, the tie. It's not easy. That's pretty demanding <laughs> stuff. I just spent like 45 minutes talking about. You need the energy and the brain power and the patience and creativity to do that part. So you need to divide your time between four things to fuel yourself. You, S is for sleep. You have to spend time sleeping. Most parents think they can get away. But maybe if I just do all this stuff, I'll sleep five hours a night or four hours a night and do the rest. No, it doesn't work because you're not rested. You don't have any patience. Your brain is not firing. You can't solve problems. You'll just take things over because you're just like, let me just do it, kid. Get out yeah. of my way. I'm tired. Yeah. You get grumpy real quick. And you'll hand them the iPad so that you can. Yes. Right. <laughs> you don't want to do that. So you need to spend time on sleep. That's S. E is for exercise. And exercise doesn't have to be formal, but it is movement and fitness that helps you feel good about yourself, energized, ready to go out and face the world and able to keep up with your kids. And that's another one that we tend to like slough off. But then you don't have the energy. You kind of feel sluggish and you don't want to show up for the PTA meeting because I haven't been to the gym and I'm not ready to like present myself. So you really withdraw if you're not really feeling fit and energetic, right? So that's exercise. L is for love. We have to spend time on our adult love relationships. Our marriages, if we're married, raising kids, many people are married. Your social life beyond that. And if you're a single parent, for sure, your social network. And marriage is like another thing. Every parent I ever interviewed, they're like, we know we should spend time as a couple, but A, when, and B, we don't even know what to talk to each other about other than the kids anymore. That is different. This is your adult-to-adult relationships because they nurture you. Mm -hmm. And if you are nurtured, it's easier to nurture kids. Oh, will you say that again? <laughs> when you are nurtured, ooh, say that again. When you are nurtured, it's so much easier to nurture children. Oh, I love that. And if you're not nurtured, you're like trying to nurture on an empty tank. Yeah. It's hard. You don't even remember what it feels like. You're just yeah. empty. And if you really isolate yourself from friends, that's not good. Kids don't see you having friendships, so you're not role modeling friendships, and they look to us. So that's important. And if you neglect your marriage, it will steal time and brain space from your kids because... When that starts to go bad because you've drifted apart and you're not connecting and you're worried or that goes down the toilet, you are distracted, you are worried. It's not good for doing your part. It doesn't help you. It steals time and it steals energy. So you got to nurture it, right? And then the F is for fun. And by fun, I define that as like the hobbies or passions or pure relaxation activities that make you feel like you. Hmm. Because that is the most grounded place to come from, to actually recognize the uniqueness in each of the kids that you're raising, right? You need to know what is, who am I? So that you can see who are you. And also when you feel like you, you can just deal so much better than if you're giving, giving, giving. You don't even know who you are anymore. Like wh what are you giving from? Yeah. So sleep, exercise, love, fun, self-fueling yourself. And I know it, people are like, yeah, but where the heck do I find the time? <laughs> right. <laughs> so each one of them play their own role and they all help you do your part. So we don't get to just do one of those. You must make time for all of them. So the two things that get in the way of self-care, I believe, as parents is one is guilt. We just feel guilty that anytime we're taking for ourselves, we are stealing that from our kids or we're stealing that from our jobs or somebody else that we're supposed to give it to. Hmm. That's number one obstacle. And what I just described as the benefit of all of that, I hope listeners and readers can really internalize that message. If you are fueling yourself so that you can do your part, you're not stealing anything. You are just refueling yourself. Would you, you can, there's a cell phone, the battery runs out and then you like can't talk anymore. You have to plug it in to refill the battery. Your car runs out of gas and then you can't keep going. 
Even if you're late for your appointment, you have to stop at the gas station. And trust me, I've pushed it. Yeah, you, you have to stop. You have. So you got to recognize this is you recharging your batteries. The second thing that gets in the way is our approach to self-care. For most of our lives, like at least two decades, if you're a teenage parent, it's been 14 years or 18 years. But, you know, if you have kids when you're in your late 20s or your 30s, the first 25 or 30 years of your life, self-care was big blocks of time, right? You spent all day on the weekend on your hobby. You had long date nights and huge long evenings over multiple bottles of wine with your friends and exercise. Remember that, Autumn? Remember when you used to just be able to go to Target with me for hours and hours? Yeah, hardly. It's endless, right? Right. Hang, go on long walks. Exercise was like three times a week for 90 minutes at the gym, or taking Pilates or Zumba or whatever, you know, five times a week <laughs> after work, you're taking an hour class. Once you have kids, you cannot fit that stuff in, in big blocks of time. You, they're just not there anymore or reliable. So except for sleep, find the 20 minute doses or less of the different forms of self-care so that you can fold them into the fabric of your day and your week in routine regularly, like Exercise, honestly, high-intensity interval training, 10 minutes or less or 15 minutes or less done every day or every other day has as much impact, if not more, as 90 minutes three times a week. And exercise science has proven that over and over. You can do an eight-minute workout from your house every morning while your kids are getting dressed or while they're doing their homework at night, right? So. Love relationships, 20-minute doses, like sit with your husband or wife for 20 minutes after the kids go to sleep and don't talk about the kids and don't talk about logistics. How was your day or what do you need or I'm so happy that we are married. <laughs> do some. Can I just stare at your face like yeah, that, stranger? Or do some, like, you know, it's short doses. You meet up for lunch, you know. Yeah. Tell your bosses you're going to get there an hour late. And after the kids leave, you guys have an hour and then you go to work. Like do short doses of everything. And you can then fit it in much more regularly and routinely. And if you don't get enough sleep, rest for 10 minutes. Sit on your couch and just be. And don't check your cell phone. Be. Yeah. Sit and eat a meal for 10 minutes and enjoy the taste of the sandwich and the warmth of the cup of tea in your hands. And that's restorative. And not in the car. Not in the car. <laughs> right. You could choke. Yeah. But- <laughs> Plus, this is really good modeling, too, for your kids to see you taking that time for yourself. I remember my mom was a very good model of taking that self-time. Now, as a parent, I don't really have that same guilt that I see my other friends having because I saw that model from my mom. This is just what's needed. That's amazing. I'm so glad to hear that you saw that modeled Mm -hmm. and it did not make you feel in any way that your mom didn't love you. Right. She wasn't stealing from you. She was modeling like this is what you need to do yeah to be a human being right right be a human being and to have a be it in good humor and be ready to play a game with you like yep i just need my 10 minutes (laughs) 20 minutes playing the harmonica every night like whatever it is that wait you play the harmonica I don't. I play the guitar, though. But we'll play the harmonica. (laughs) I love that. And I think one of the things I love especially is the way that you link those two. And you remind us consistently throughout the book that they're both necessary pieces of the puzzle. It's not one or the other. It's you have to take care of that self to be able to do your part. You're doing your part when you're taking – I mean, you just – you link them so seamlessly. And then also – realistically reflecting on where you're at in those spaces. Mm-hmm. I know that both Autumn and I loved the book and felt like we just couldn't wait to share this with our listeners because it's not a way that we've thought about time before. Yeah. And it's really powerful. I do think that defining the edges of the job, right? Turning a yes. infinite, endless job to like, no, there's like eight things you have to juggle right four for your kids and four for yourself and you have to touch all of them just seeing the edges I think buys you back an enormous amount of time because you're clear and like wherever you are you're like oh right now I'm in a range and next I'm going to go to relate 
or I'm in teach and next I'm going to go to exercise. Just being aware where you are eliminates the worry or the anxiety of what am I missing here? You just know where you are. You can be more present in each thing. And then you have to develop skills, right? You have to develop skills. If you're spending too much time on something and that's the way the book is organized, there are tips on how do I contain this so it doesn't monopolize my time. And if it's things that I am not gravitating toward because I don't know how to do them or I don't feel confident, how do I make the time for that? Relate being one of the most common, I'll tell you, that it is not necessarily so easy to relate to kids, every kid and every kid at every age and state. At every age, yes. Right? Yes. So we don't all, you don't always remember. Like, I don't remember what it was like to be four or two. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you talk to a, an infant? I don't know, right? So that stuff is in the book of like, how do I do it so that I can grab it and just do it? identify your strengths and also your challenges and then just course correct. Nothing is perfect. It's dynamic. Life is dynamic. Families are dynamic. Kids are dynamic, but it's like a rudder or a control panel for your life. Mm. Ever feeling really out of balance, you can just go back to the quadrant and say, whoa, that was just a crazy time. And I stopped exercising or I stopped I fell into my pattern of teaching all the time. And that's why my kids like having tantrums all the time because I'm not relating to them anymore. Yeah. You know, work has gone crazy. I got to contain it. I think it's a very powerful framework. And they're touchstones. They're touchstones touchstones for you to keep coming back to. Yeah. And you can use it from the time your kids are like infants till they like go off to college. It's like for the entire run. Yeah. That's what I wanted to do. It's kind of like what to expect when you're expecting is to pregnancy I wanted to create something that would be a manual for the full span of the child rearing years. Yeah. You know, it looks a little different at different ages and stages, but you always have those eight things. Four for your kids, four for yourself. Okay. I have one Oprah question. Okay. (laughs) So I'm a huge Oprah fan. One thing that I kept thinking about was the way that you have taken on these huge projects. I remember that you mentioned that you, I believe on your website, you talk about how when Harpo Studios was wrapping up, you led the project for archiving Harpo. Yeah. And I cannot imagine, first of all, what an amazingly fascinating job that must have been. But I'm just so curious, like for yourself, or like how did you even begin thinking about a project that large? So how did I think about it? So it was phenomenal. It was an incredible uh, opportunity and honor. And basically, they were, for the last year of the show, and for 25 years, they were just producing every day, right? Like, they were just focused yeah. on, like, putting out, like, the the best show every day. And uh, Oprah's chief of staff had said, wait a minute, like, we're going to be done, and no one's stopped to think about what we should archive, keep, what's valuable, etc. So they brought me in to do that while they were producing. So I was kind of running parallel with them. And that was my job to figure it out. So I basically started by first you have to define what's valuable. Yeah. And I did that by interviewing Oprah and Sherry Salada and the senior executives and some of the key producers to say, what do you think is valuable that would really represent when the show is over, like what was really important? So I did a lot of interviewing and then we created sort of these are the categories and guidelines of what is a treasure? Obviously, there were a lot of treasures. <laughs> you know, it's hard to say, like, what's not a treasure, right? right. Um, but we did define that. And so we had to define it on paper. And then I created guidelines. And then we just sort of guided the entire organization through the sifting and sorting process and made it as easy for them as possible to do while they were producing shows. And we did that in a whole bunch of different ways. And again, you're defining those edges. Oh, it's always about defining it first. I think like if there's a theme here that tied everything we were talking about is map it out yeah. first before you dive in. You know, when people want to organize anything or tackle a project or whatever, the biggest mistake we make is like starting it and then trying to figure out a shape as we go, like as you dive go. in and figure it out, <laughs> attack first, ask questions later. And, you know, in organizing from the inside out, the original book is analyze, strategize, attack, ask questions first, attack later. And I do that with everything. 
everything we talked about. That's the maximized men, right? Yeah. I did that with the Oprah archivist. Analyze what's important, what's not, what's symbolic, put it all together, strategize, how are we going to collect it, where are we going to put it, and then attack. It's a very reliable structure for organizing anything. Anything. Analyze, strategize, attack. And now your your daughter, you said, is up and out. So we would just love to close by hearing if you now, I don't know what self, that self quadrant looks like for you now, if you had an hour just open up, ideally, how would you spend it? Right now in my life? Yeah. Like, what's the hour? What would I do with an hour? I think lately, what I've been trying to find an hour for is I want to take singing lessons. <laughs> Ooh. I love that. Yes. Awesome. I want to take like, I have to like find and decide on a coach, singing coach. And then I have to like organize making the time to book that. Then of course practice. But that's the thing I want to weave in. That's the You're fun. Yes. We have loved talking with you, Julie. Your book, Time to Parent, Organizing Your Life to Bring Out the Best in Your Child and You is just truly, it's a touchstone that we know that our listeners are going to come back to again and again. It's a great little handbook. It's so detailed. So it's something that I know I'm going to be referring to often. So thank you so much, Julie, for coming on and talking with us. We can't thank you enough. It was really a delight to speak to you both. And oh, thank love the you. conversation. And-, and please pass on to your daughter that I love that book. I still have it. Autumn's like, you're not a teenager. You can let it go. I go, I don't know. There's still gems. That, Julie. I'm sorry. I did say that. We need to get you guys to have a little Skype. <laughs> She'll love it as much as you will. Believe me. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so much for your time, Julie. Thank you. Bye, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. She just shared so much insight and goes into even more detail in her book. I know she's shared a lot, but I can't recommend enough. Go get the book Time to Parent, and we will have links in our show notes page, adbpodcast.com slash 70, and you'll have links to Time to Parent and her older books too, which we also love. We'll also make sure to link her website where she has a lot of resources and shares what she's up to, events and speaking engagements. And I have to say that You know, when you think about authors that you admire or people that you admire, I have just so loved her voice over the years. It was really exciting to hear the way that she is such an advocate for people making sense of the roles in their life and making sense of time and really creating a life that you love. It it was inspiring to me. And I, I so deeply appreciate her generosity and all that she shared with us. So thank you, Julie. And thank you so much to those of you who have subscribed to ADB Podcast and left a review on iTunes. It really helps us get the word out about our podcast. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe and take a minute to leave us a review. Yeah, reviews definitely help others find the podcast and they totally make our day. We read every one of them. We also would love to know what you thought of this episode. Do you have comments or questions or things you wished we had asked Julie? Definitely share it with us. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at A to B podcast. Or you can email us hello at A to B podcast.com. And we have a voicemail line 858-480-SPACE. 858-480-7722. We're definitely excited to talk to you about this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.